Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined by NASCAR and NBC analyst, Steve Letarte. And we just finished watching the Dover race, Stevie, and uh, a lot of tire concerns coming into this race. This is NASCAR's only trip now to the Monster Mile annually, but I don't really think we saw a lot of those concerns. I think actually we saw a fairly compelling race. I know you're a Dover fan. What did you make of 400 miles of the Monster Mile today? It's the Monster! Like, it's not a moniker. It's not a marketing campaign. It's the damn monster. You better show up. You better show up right. It's hard with short practices. What I love is, so I'm not a big fan when we see tire failures that that abruptly end up in accidents, right? And what I mean by that is right fronts going down, rear tires failing. I think that the teams and Goodyear and everybody has a hand in that. What we saw here was a durability issue. But the issue, I believe, is a combination of how the teams are, are applying the tire, how the setups are being used, how the handling is. You know, I don't put this on on NASCAR or Goodyear. You know, I think this is the challenge of Dover. I thought it was a great Dover race. Listen, I might be in the minority, but every once in a while, I like a heavyweight, toe-to-toe, figure-it-out sort of fight. And that's what Dover was. It had crashes early. It had long green flag runs. We had 10 cars in the lead lap at one point. It was old-school Dover, and we didn't need 500 laps of it. Look, we raced 36 points races. I'm sorry. You don't have to like them all. Don't like it, don't watch, don't come. Like, it's okay that everything isn't right for everyone. I like variety. I don't love the dirt, but I'm okay we have a race, right? So what I saw at Dover was that, man. It was it was like quintessential Dover. And I think that's one of the reasons we got the winner that we did because Martin Truex Jr. has found his way to not change his style, to be smooth behind the wheel little chipper on the radio. But in the end, back to victory lane. Big weekend for the Truex family. It was a very big weekend for the Truex family at Dover. This is essentially their hometown track. They're from New Jersey, the Atlantic City area. Close enough. And Ryan Truex gets his first Xfinity win on Saturday. Martin Truex Jr. wins on Monday, which, by the way, he did in 2007. That was his first Cup Series victory ever. So, yeah, big weekend for the Truexes. And to your point, Steve, it had a few indelible moments. We're going to get to those. I think you get three or four moments in a Cup race that's a good race. And one of those moments was at the end, came down to the final restart, some tire strategies varying between the lead cars at the front. I'm forgetting now, but in your time with Gordon or Earnhardt Jr., did you ever win? No, I took four tires and lost to two tires on Jimmy Johnson. It felt a lot like today, what I saw. And I apparently didn't learn, Nate, because when the caution came out, I was sitting with a couple of buddies and I said, well, a lot of lap cars between second and third. 
Uh, I think you got to take four tires because even if the opposite happens, you're going to start probably in the top two. A couple things I didn't take into account. The new four tire change is so fast, nine and a half seconds. You know, it used to be 12, 13 seconds. You had an advantage there. I say that because Chastain took four and I thought he would have restarted second. He restarted fourth. That was a big difference with a couple more two tire changes. So listen, I'll go on record. James Small, congratulations, first of all. And I was absolutely wrong because I was scared to death when you rolled off with two tires miles ahead of the other cars coming off pit road. I thought you could have took four tires. I thought you should have took four tires. And here you are standing with a monster trophy that I never got. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut next time I go to Dover and not have an opinion because two tires, I believe, was the call. I wasn't factoring in the time it takes to change four tires versus two. And I didn't think Blaney and those guys could get there. So um, in the end, it was the right call, but I was nervous. I was nervous. Yeah, I figured you would be. I didn't really want to bring it up because it could be a sore subject for you. But yeah, I, I thought there was a time 10 years ago where Chad and Jimmy beat you and Dale Jr. on a call similar to this one. And I thought that Truex was still in trouble, Steve, because I mean, eight laps to go and Chastain's directly behind him in row two on four and Truex has got two and he's got plenty beside him on two. It seemed like it was a Ross Chastain moment. Were you surprised that, I mean, we know Truex is a champion, but that he was able to hold off a hard-charging Ross Chastain, which we'd seen a hard-charging Ross Chastain earlier in the race cause some mayhem. So, you know, what I got was I got Truex reminding everybody that he's a badass. I don't know how else to say it. And, and you know, that has to happen in sports because our sports stars that we love, they age. They all lose a little step. But every once in a while, Tiger Woods will come back and win the Masters. Every once in a while, your favorite player will go four for four in a baseball game. Every once in a while, your favorite basketball player will have a career night. And I think that Truex in this winless streak, we all wondered the fear, right? We saw Jimmy Johnson do it. We've seen other drivers do it. This isn't a Martin Truex thing. This is a, this is a beloved superstar not putting up superstar numbers. And you wonder if it will ever kind of end. And the writing was on the roll that they could lose yet another one that they could have or should have won. But in the end, I think it was Truex who basically, what is it, 42 years old, 32nd win, could easily be a two or three time champ if so, just a few things have gone the other way. You know, I'm so thankful it worked like this. You know, a win is a win, and I don't want to discount any of them. But I'm glad it wasn't a fuel mileage win or, or a big wreck that gave him track position. Why those all count? And there's no pictures to go along with the trophies. I'm very thankful that Truex won it in Truex fashion. I mean, this is the guy that led, you know, 700 miles of a 600-mile race at Charlotte one time. I mean, he, he led every single lap there was. So it was very Martin Truex. As This is a guy that, while he's feisty on the radio, Nate, he hasn't let this shift of acceptable action change who he is. He doesn't hit guys. He doesn't jam it in there three wide and push a guy at the racetrack. When everybody else is out there driving around with, you know, hammers and drums, he's out there with a scalpel and a clarinet, man. He's playing beautiful music. And, and that's what this looked like, right? Even the race with Blaney gives Blaney room. No door moves. No, no, he gave Blaney a lane more than I would have gave him in three and four. And yet he still won. And I think that's what makes this win so much more special is he won it how he has won the other. 31 races of his career. And I'm a little thankful to see it be that way. Like you mentioned, ends a 54 race winless streak. And there were a few that they let get away during that interim. After the race, Truex said, Feels incredible. Felt like we, we've been close a bunch of times and we gave some away, that's for sure. Thought today, you know, um, oh man, a late caution, what's going to happen here? But just a great call by James to take two and then was able to get a pretty good restart and get Blaney there. 
we knew we could do this. We, we showed it. We've led laps. We've dominated races. And it just would never all come together. And I kept saying that. We just, we got to just keep doing what we're doing and not overthink it. So it's just special. You know, this is a special place. And it was such a big day for our family to see Ryan do that on Saturday. He's worked so hard for so long to get good opportunities. And it was awesome to see him take advantage of that. And then, you know, for us, um, we've given away a few here over the years. And it feels nice to get one to come around our way for once. So just excited. And uh, this thing was a hot rod. Just had to get it up front. This was interesting, Stevie, because Truex and James Small were bickering mid-race. We could have gone out front of these guys. I would have drove away from them. Shut the f- up, Joe. We're trying to beat in front of them. So just keep driving, please. Just high forward. I'm trying, buddy. He's done everybody in the pit cycle, okay? What we did was correct. Just keep driving, please. He's doing really good. I know you have been very much attuned to th- that Truex small dynamic, and obviously you have a lot of experience with this as a former crew chief about how crew chiefs and drivers are able to talk to each other. What did you make about that and what we've seen from them on the radio over the last year and a half? Because like you said, not the first time we've heard this bickering. Well, I think I would be concerned if it was the first time, but it really turns into their signature. You know, it's uncomfortable to listen to. I think I would be on, unco- it's not my style. It'd be very uncomfortable for me to be interjected in this. But listen, if Martin Truex Jr. wanted another crew chief, he'd have one. The man gets to call his shots over there. If he doesn't, I'd be surprised. This is the man who's got, uh, you know, Johnny Morris at Bass Pro is a good friend of his. The partnership on that race car. Everybody wanted him back at Joe Gibbs Racing. Martin Truex Jr. could get, I don't want to say whatever he wants around the car, but if he wanted a position change there, he would have got one. So that tells me that what we analyze in the bickering and what we see in this disagreement, foul language and directness, maybe that's what Truex wants. Jeff Gordon once told me the best advice I never took which was, hey, I need you to treat me like everyone else. Now, I couldn't do it. Maybe I need a little more James Small in my repertoire because Jeff Gordon was my mentor. He was my hero. I was 25 years old. I never had enough like moxie to tell him uh, to shut that blank up like our man James Small did today. So, you know, we can all judge how they do it, but it's kind of like judging a race car driver's craft. I think it's real funny. We're going to judge the team that won the race, how they won the race and how they communicated. Not my style, but it's not the first time. And apparently it works. Truex settled back in, drove up there. And, you know, what we're kind of glassing over is, listen, this was an amazing Dover event. Chastain had it in control. James Small brings the 19 in a lap early on the green flag pit stop. Efficient on and off pit road. The pass for the win happened under green flag pit stops way earlier in the race. That is it. That was game, set, match. Now, there was opportunity for them to lose it. Opportunity for Chastain to go win it, but control. We could talk about control of the race a lot. The control of this race was taken, not given away, taken by the 19 of James Small and Martin Truex Jr. after they bickered and cussed and questioned. So, hey, so racing's tough. You can't use energy being someone you're not. If you're not a please and thank you guy, I can't have you saying please and thank you. We don't have time for that. This stuff is hard. So if Truex says, hey, man, I got to say whatever I want. And James Small says, that's fine, but I'm going to say whatever I want back. (laughs) Maybe what we think is bad radio communication, maybe it's the healthiest communication in the garage. Maybe they're actually just being who they are. I don't know. Uh, All I know is it it worked. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Because I thought Toyotas were good this week. We're going to Kansas. Strong Toyota track. Listen, this could be one of Truex's last career wins. This could be just the start of a great Martin Truex Jr. run to become a multi-time champ. 
We don't know what we're going to see, but they seem to have doing it to the beat of their own drum, no matter how uncomfortable it may be. And like you said, I mean, it was the James Small pit call that got him out in front of Chastain. Truex leads 68 of the final 69 laps. But I think you make an interesting point there, Steve, about like maybe this is the way they are. Because last year we saw this bickering. We saw they essentially gave away the win at Nashville because they misunderstood each other on whether Truex should pit or not. And I asked Truex about this at our production days for NBC Sports a, a few weeks ago. Is the execution a little bit frustrating? Because I know you guys struggled with that a little bit last year too, right? Yeah. It's very frustrating, yeah, because we, that's really our, our main focus all, all season was... How do we fix it? You know, let's, <laughs> these are the things we need to do and we need to focus on, and it's like it's not really all come together yet. But I feel like, again, I feel like we've got all the pieces, we got all the people, and now we just gotta do it and get, you just, in that comfort zone, you know, where things just click and you don't feel like you're having to try too hard. We've just not been able to get in a rhythm on all fronts, you know, um, just little things biting us here and there. So, you know, the Richmond deal, it's like, probably should have won the race, you know what I mean? And, and we didn't, and that happened a bunch of times last year. So, hey, we just got to get over that hump and, and um, I don't know, some, sometimes things just don't go your way for a while. I mean, I've been through this before. And, yeah, if you try to change everything, you end up beating yourself. So uh, hopefully it'll come to us here pretty quick. Do you think maybe there was just some sort of compromise or just understanding that this is what we are? And and if we're going to be kind of the, the Dale Jr., Tony Uri Jr. model. Well, Lizard, you don't have to go that far. You know, the guy that won five of these in a row, the guy that's a seven-time champ, you've listened to a lot of Chad Canals, Jimmy Johnson Radio. Now, that wasn't as contentious because Chad was very aggressive and Jimmy was not most of the time. But... I also felt like both people on the radio sounded like the two men I knew, right? So, so my, my point is, I do think there's a level of respect that has to be managed. There's a level of emotion that has to be managed. But if you're taking, you know, 3%, 2%, 5% of your brain to articulate your thoughts, you probably aren't going to have a very good day because I'm guessing the guy behind you isn't worried about articulation. He's worried about rotation. It's worried about his stuff getting in the middle of the corner, rolling the bottom, getting in the gas, having some rear grip. So I look at it like this. I mean, I didn't go to college. I don't have a big vocabulary. I got to look up <laughs> half the words you tell me, Nate. But when I go on television, I think I'm relatable because I just say what I see. And it is what it is. Dale Jr. is much the same way. So I think we worked well together because our syllables were relatively limited and our directness was kind of where it needed to be. And we went and we raced. So it's easy to say how something isn't working Yet maybe we all have an opinion that's not defendable now that they've won. So maybe maybe the next time they have an absolute knockdown drag on the radio, we need to have them as our pick. Maybe I should put them in my fantasy lineup for the second half of the race. <laughs> yeah, that's a tell. That's clearly a tell. Uh, and you're right. Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson often did sound like the old married couple that somehow won seven cup championships. But you're also right that I don't think Ross Chastain is, he's a doer. Uh, he's not worried about the articulation, using any of his brain about that. Ross Chastain just goes, and we saw that again today, finishes second in this race, Steve. But, of course, the big story was about, what, 80 laps into the race, he rear-ends Brendan Poole while trying to get around Austin Dillon. That sends Brendan Poole up into the wall, and he takes out Kyle Larson, whose car might have been the fastest. Let's just start with, you know, first, what you saw in that wreck with Ross Chastain, like just impatience, like you're, we're barely through halfway of stage one. What are you doing? So I think this is how I analyze what happened on the racetrack. I think Ross Chastain's mistake was not just following the three past the 15. So he was looking for an advantage. He was looking for the 15 to go in to wash up, go three wide, pass the three, gain a position. The problem is 
you know, I don't think he meant to run the 15 over. I see the fire out the pipes of the 15 car, three, four, five car lengths quicker than I expected it to be on corner entry. And then Ross flat runs the 15 over, not out of malice, but does that really matter? You know, like, oops. Well, that does you know, Brendan Poole doesn't, oops, doesn't help Brendan Poole. Oops, doesn't help Kyle Larson. So it, it's, it's more of the aggressive decision-making from Ross Chastain. So I defended him a week ago at Talladega because he shoved Noah Gregson off the second lane, took it three wide, and I'm blaming Noah Gregson. Noah got beat. He got shoved off the second lane, got taken three wide, and he refused to be beat, turned left, and created a big accident. That's racing. I'm not saying, you know, Noah should be chastised for it. It's just, that's what happened. But that was pay window open Talladega. This was lap 82 Dover. So I, I think what you heard on Larson's radio was, man, it's so early, right? So it wasn't a, I can't believe he did it. Oh, I can't believe he ran the 15 over. It was, oh, it's so early. So it was kind of like one of them, hey, you reading between the lines, you took a risk that didn't need to be taken at this point in the race. And that's really what we're talking about here. I don't think he meant to wreck him. But in the end, does it matter? I mean, I hate to be like that, but does it matter? I don't think it matters. Like, do you, does that change the outcome? It doesn't. You know, you, you can't continue to push, put yourself in the – so this is what I would say. Nate, the third time you ran into somebody on I-77, I'd be like, hey, man, maybe the following distance is too close. Maybe you need to back it on up a little bit. Like, you didn't learn the first or the second time. So that's the Ross Chastain signature is he seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and things go wrong around him. Now – not on purpose, but eventually you have to see that you're the nucleus of this. Now, on the entire other side, and being my own hypocrite, this is a little like the, the 19 car radio. We can all not like how Ross Chastain does what he does, but is he going to do it once again right his way into the playoffs, right into the final four drivers at Phoenix? Like, you know, it's unpopular. If I was a pure NASCAR fan and not an analyst, would I cheer for a driver like Ross Chastain? I wouldn't. That's not the signature I like to see out of my race car drivers, but there are fans that love him. There are fans that hate him. And in the end, you know, he's a little Kyle Busch-esque. Like, I think he's a polarizing figure. I think he is a little, oh, shucks polarizing. I have more of this, what he says in his interview, than what he does on the racetrack. First, I have to say I'm so sorry to, to Brennan and everybody at Rick Ware's team. Um, I owe a big apology and a, and a bit more um, when I get home from Skip Barber tomorrow. I'll uh, I'll head, head over there and... Um, talk to those guys and make some of that right so he gets out and oh first thing i gotta do is apologize to the 15 don't say that i'm gonna go go apologize firsthand like don't sell to me that you don't mean to do it i don't care like i'll just tell you i don't care did you mean to wreck him did you not i don't care i don't care if you meant to do it the result doesn't your empathy doesn't change the result that you shipped the 15 into turn one backwards and took out the five so I don't need your empathy. Now, if you feel it necessary to go apologize to the 15, I think that's very nice of you. And I think that says a lot about you as a person. But don't sell it to me on network TV. I mean, come on. Just, just you know what I wanted to hear? This is what I wanted to hear. It was unfortunate. Made a mistake there. It was definitely clue close. So I'm going to talk to the 15 car. But we had a great run. Like, move along. I don't need the song and dance and all the empathetic emotion. and Like, just just own it. Just own the mistake. I would I would have less of an issue if you just owned it a little bit more. Well, I don't know if Ross Chastain was aware that these things were happening, but Brennan Poole obviously wasn't happy. He suggested that someone needs to whip Ross Chastain's butt. Kyle Larson wasn't happy. It seemed like Ross just kind of got in a hurry there, I'm guessing. And I don't know if he was frustrated with the 15 or just got in a hurry and made a mistake, but uh, crashed him before we ever got to the corner. And, and I was committed to the top and 
you know, he slid up. So nowhere for me to go, but you know, hopefully, uh, I just hope our luck turns around soon. I mean, we have the fastest car every damn weekend and uh, doesn't doesn't seem to work out. I would understand, you know, third stage or something, but you know, that was middle of the first stage and to make a, a, an error like that, <laughs> And his errors never affect him negatively. So um, it's just, I'm not saying anything about that. I just find it funny how it, he always comes out on the, the good end. So, um, you know, it just is what it is. Why is Ross Chastain apologizing? You're suggesting he should just own it. Is there any benefit to him apologizing? Or Well, here's why. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Because Ross Chastain in a helmet is a bully. I'm using that as a term of endearment when it comes to sports. You, he is the aggressor. He is the one forcing the issue. If I am Justin Marks, I'm not sure there's a guy I love more. You're my guy. You know, if I'm on his race team, he's my guy, right? Like, like I'm, man, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to be in your corner. But what you get out of the race car is also him. I, like, I don't think either are made up, which is, makes it so confusing is when I talk to him outside of the car, he's always very engaging. He takes his time. He's soft-spoken. So I just I just struggle to understand the split personalities. Like, let's take Denny Hamlin for a minute, man. Right? He walks the walk, talks the talk, and drives the drive. I mean, he puts his Jordans on, gets on his jet, and gets on his podcast, and gets in his car, and wears his 2311 sweater, and you're like, man, that's that's him. There's these two different people that is so difficult for me to understand because unfortunately or fortunately, I don't have many personalities. I'm this all the time. And, and I think that's where the fans get confused. And that's where I get confused. I just wish that he was more consistent, his actions, his demeanor, and his interviews. I wish they all lined up better. Well, that Hamlin comparison is interesting because I mean, maybe it's the difference between somebody who's 42 and has raced in cups since 2006 and someone who is 30 in Ross Chastain and was only raced full-time in cup in this track house ride for uh, the last few years. And, you know, you made the comparison to Kyle Busch. What Chastain is doing right now feels a lot to me like Earnhardt. And I know you got to be careful with Earnhardt comparisons, but as soon as I heard the number one radio chatter and Chastain saying, oh, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to hit Brennan Poole. I immediately thought back to Terry Labonte, Bristol, August, 1999, when he got spun out of the lead by Earnhardt and was told that Earnhardt had said on national television, he didn't mean to do it. And Terry Labonte said, well, I passed him down in front straight away, and he, he hit me in the corner down there in one or two and turned me around. That's about it. Obviously, he said he planned to get up to you, had no intention of taking you out. He never has an intention of taking anybody out. It just happens that way. So is it maybe that Chastain sort of is still working his way through being? He's a star. He's a star cup driver. Maybe he's just going to land at that point eventually of being an Earnhardt. The problem is, you know, who you compared to had a billion-dollar grin because <laughs> he can tell you that he didn't mean to do it and then he said nothing maybe not even a grin maybe like a twinkle of one eye towards the camera and every Earnhardt faithful was like yeah that's right yeah we didn't mean to take that and his personality was bigger than the sport it was like it, it was this you know you got sucked in. he he was the Michael Jordan of racing right like like he just you know, Dale Jr. has said this story a few times. Any room that, that Dale Sr. walked into, he sucked the oxygen out of. It doesn't matter if it was boardrooms or billionaires. He had this charisma. And it takes a rare person to be able to get away with the description you just gave between him and Terry LeBron. 
But, you know, he backed it up with 76 wins and seven championships. And, and you know what I liked? I don't know. It was a delivery. He was the man in black. He was the intimidator. He owned it. And all I want is, you know, Ross Chastain reminds me a little bit of, of Matt DiBenedetto. I, like, I, like I don't see and hear. Like everything just doesn't line up at times. Um, now, listen, was I an owner? Would I try to hire Ross Chastain? Absolutely. I think he's a remarkable talent. I think he's super aggressive. I think he gets stuff done. I think he can win races. I know, though, when I hire him that I'm going to be calling and apologizing for some people, sticking up for him even when I don't love what he did. That's what kind of comes with it. I would not hire him because of it. Like I'll take I'll take the guy that pushes the pedal down. Right? You have to kind of find you have to find that and make that happen. But I do agree that he his experience level is he runs better than how many starts he has in winning equipment. And I think he's kind of learning his way. Or maybe he'll never change. Maybe this is just Ross. You know, I can give you a list of drivers that would love to have his issue of winning races and hitting a few people. Right? Like like. That's all I guess what I would say is, you know, I have no issue with what Kyle Larson said. He was just taken out. And he's like, man, lap 82, what's the deal? And this is an awful thing to say, but these are sports, so I'll just say it. If I'm Ross Chastain, I know it's awful for Rick Ware and Brendan Poole, and I feel bad for them. But I'm way more concerned about what Kyle Larson thinks about the accident. He's the one I'm reaching out to. I think you're right about Larson. And we saw that. I mean, it was before that final restart. But Larson held Chastain up while he was many, many, many laps down. He prevented Chastain from making some ground at one point late in that race. And I would think that's Ross Chastain's fear here is I wonder if this is the tipping point where now some of those other veterans, some of those other contenders, the guy he's he's going to be fighting with all the way through the playoffs, maybe they look at this and now they race him a little differently. I know they already a lot of them already race him differently already, but I just wonder if that's in the back of his mind too. Like maybe he does reach out to Kyle Larson. Maybe he reaches out to everybody this week. I don't know. But it just seems like there's a lot of fence mending there that might need to be done. I, I think, though, you can't. I mean, how many times can you say, whoops? <laughs> what is that going to help? Like, if I'm Kyle Larson and I get a call from Ross, I'm not picking up the phone. Zero chance of picking up the phone. I don't want you to feel good about it. I want you to feel nervous. I want you to think I might wreck you. When I catch you at Kansas, I want you to be like, mm, I better give a spot back. You know, so look, we've had this dynamic of, of fines for drivers and retaliation, and I think all of that stuff needs to continue to a point. My point being, uh, like the Bubba Larson thing on the front stretch where he got turned back into traffic, I think that should be a fine, right? I think the penalty was fair. The Noah Gregson wreck at Road America that needed to be stepped in on. I didn't love the Denny Hamlin fine. I feel like that was a driver-on-driver -driver situation, and this is why I don't think I love it. It's not because someone's right or wrong. But as a guy who had to call these races as a crew chief and then try to analyze them, the only ones who really know what goes on every lap, every corner of 40 people, it's impossible to watch them all, are the drivers. You know, I don't want to see drivers being wrecked on purpose because we all take for granted how dangerous racing is, as now we have Alex Bowman out. I know it was a sprint car, but it's still auto racing. I think I am guilty of taking this, what these gladiators do every weekend is it's ah, just another race. They are truly doing something that normal people wouldn't do. So that's why I think there has to be a line somewhere. But if Kyle Larson wants to make it hard on Ross Chastain, so be it. You know, and here's why. I was watching this race today with some buddies, and Truex was leading. And Harvick ran in his lane and ran in his lane and ran in his lane and ran in his lane. There was even radio from Truex. Please get the four out of my lane, right? Finally, they catch Josh Berry in the 48. And the four either has a tire issue or the air. I'm not sure. He goes up the racetrack. Truex gets by. Well, then 48 puts up no fight. And you know what that was? That was Kevin Harvick. I'm a champ. I need this lap. I'm going to run you 
not dirty, but I'm going to run you hard. And Truex is like, gosh, just get him out of my way. But he's Harvick, right? So follow me here. Now, Josh Berry, 15 cup starts, 10 cup starts, whatever it was. He could have raced as hard as the four. He ain't going to do it. He looks back. He goes, damn, Truex, 30 wins, champion. Let me get out the way. I'm okay with that. I'm okay that Kevin Harvick has earned the right to be a jerk. And I'm okay that Josh Berry doesn't think he should. Like, I know that's perhaps unpopular, but don't confuse fair and equal, Nate. We want it to be a fair race, but every driver is not equal. And a champion should be treated as such at times. And I think that's what we've continued to see. Well, certainly a strong run for Josh Berry finishes 10th in place of Alex Bowman. I mean, there's only one race now at Dover, but I think we can still do some takeaways here. And Hendrick certainly had a good day, but Toyota had the best day by definition of Truex wins the race for Joe Gibbs Racing. Denny Hamlin finishes fifth, Christopher Bell sixth, Tyler Reddick in the 2311 Toyota seventh. Pretty strong day for the Toyotas. Yeah, Bubba Wallace, 12th, Ty Gibbs, 13th, both with Bubba quarter to Ty. Ty had some fuel issues. I mean, I thought the Toyotas had really made a huge leap in overall speed. I think that's even scarier heading to Kansas, a place that we saw Toyotas have head and shoulder speed over the organizations last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how far this will carry. You know, eight different winners, different field. And I remember Ray Hendrick had four cars in like the first five or six weeks. Now it seems like we have a kind of a smattering of different winners, right? We have... We have Larson and Byron feeling really good. We have Bowen, unfortunately, sideline, and Chase Elliott probably looking at a must win. So very split at that organization. I mean, you go over to Joe Gibbs. I know Denny's good, but he still has a big goose egg in the win column. It's easy to say, well, we're going to get a win. But, you know, Truex probably said that last year, and he didn't. You know, I'm actually not applauding that. What I'm applauding is the depth of the field. Like, it's really, really hard to win, as it should be. So I think that when you have an advantage, it's a long-winded answer, saying when you have an advantage, you have to capitalize. You've got to attack. And I thought Toyotas had the best cars here today, and a Toyota won. So that's a check. That's right. So if I am, if I am the, the head guy at TRD, right, if I'm David Wilson, I'm thinking, well, we, well at least we won. Well, we had the best speed. We won one. You know, you want to lose them. Now, if you're the 11 car, you're thinking, I think I had a winning car, and I got taken out. Now Kansas becomes even more important. Because you know someone's going to find something else. You know eventually Chevy or Ford will come with more horsepower, more downforce, and they'll find a way to have that overall speed. So right now, if I'm a Toyota driver, I'm thinking I want to get my win. I think we have an advantage. I think the speed looks good. I think you need to punch your ticket um, while you have the advantage before everyone catches up. Talking about capitalizing on those opportunities, uh, it certainly seems like the Roush, Fenway, Kozlowski cars have been better beyond just the super speedways this year. Today, Roush has multiple cars in the top 10 in, in consecutive races for the first time since 2014. Keselowski finishes eighth, Busher finishes ninth. Obviously, Kansas is a mile and a half, Steve, but can Roush, Fenway, Keselowski kind of carry some of that forward? Does it feel like they might finally be turning the corner and maybe they get a playoff car this year or maybe two? I think this right here is the bold stat of the day. Brad Keselowski, who finished eighth, had his fifth top 10 finish this season. At this point last year, he had one. So, I mean, you're talking 5X on the performance from a year ago. We expected a slow start, Brad figuring out ownership, new organization for him, you know. But what I love about this organization is they seem to improve together, right? It's not like Busher has a great run and Brad's awful or Brad has a great run. Like, it seems that what they're building around structure-wise, organization-wise, working together-wise does work to their advantage. Uh, that's all the positives. The negatives are there's nowhere else we're going to go like Dover. It is a big Br Br Bristol, and, you know, Busher did win Bristol, so maybe they have a concrete advantage. And I think that's the next step. If I'm these guys, I'm saying, you know what, guys, we do belong. We can compete. 
we are smart enough to put great race cars out there. Now we have to find a way to do it at more high value racetracks. And what I mean by that is Kansas coming up as a high value racetrack is one in the playoffs. Darlington coming up as a high value racetrack is one in the playoffs, right? So every race isn't built the same. Dover was a one-off. Now everybody still went and everybody still wanted to win. But I guarantee there's more effort put into Kansas than there is at Dover for most organizations. Can RFK back that up? Talk about some teams that had good performances, some surprising subpar performances. I want to start. There's a few I want to hit, but I'll start with Ryan Blaney finishes third. But Joey Logano, Stevie, the defending series champion, inexplicably bad today, finally ends up wrecking or finishes 31st. What did you make what was going on there? I mean, Austin Cindric didn't have a very good day either. So maybe Blaney somehow hit it and the other Penske cars didn't. Dirty Mo Doe last week. My man, the professor told me, fade Penske. He said they're awful there. I didn't believe him. I said, what do you mean they're awful there? They're not that awful there. I started looking at the numbers. They're awful. They're not going to dope. They are really, really bad. So back to a second ago when I said there's high value racetracks, I know this is awful to say, but I'll just say it. If you're Penske, how much effort you want to put into Dover? What's Dover going to matter? Listen, I know the world thinks these race teams have a bazillions of dollars and endless people. They have a lot. But everything has to be managed. And maybe they had, you know, Dover circled as, guys, we're just, you know, we're going to do a little sim session and go there and try to run the best we can. You know, that's what I'm going to chalk it up to. I'm going to chalk it up to a track that doesn't, carry a lot of value as far as future setups. Now, it carries a lot of value to Martin Truex Jr. Got to carry him off into the playoffs. But, you know, I was impressed with the Blaney run more than I was shocked at the Logano run. His numbers at Dover are just not good. I'll be concerned if he runs poorly at Kansas. I don't expect it, but that would concern me more. One other concerning team, uh, Talladega winner, Kyle Busch, got two wins this year for Richard Childress Racing, starts on the pole at Dover, gets a speeding penalty early, but really was not going to finish well all day. Finishes 21st. Even tougher, I think, is his teammate, Austin Dillon, finishes 27th. And Kyle Busch has run up front, obviously, Stevie, and won. But he's talked, he's lamented that RCR really is struggling on short tracks. But it just feels to me like the three-car of Austin Dillon is – struggling everywhere right now. I don't know how concerning that is for RCR because on one hand, you've got Kyle Busch who's come in here and changed attitudes and put them in the playoffs and they're winning races, but Austin Dillon seems like the the flip side of that equation right now. All right, so hold on. I know it's your podcast. I'm going to flip this. Nate. Yes. If I were to ask you in February what your expectations were to RCR, what would your honest answer have been? I think I would have said Kyle Busch is going to win a race for sure. So, so, So here's my point. He's won two. He won two, yeah. I wouldn't have picked both cars to make the playoffs. Let's say that. I would have picked Kyle Busch, but probably not Austin Dillon. So that probably answers your question, right? <laughs> so just let me know when you get to the punchline of the surprise. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be ugly. Austin Dillon's trying. It's hard. You know, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, it's time for us to say Kyle Busch is damn good. I don't want to sound silly when I say this. We got a lot of winners last year. We had big variety last year. And I just wonder if we lost a little bit of the flair of excellent drivers. They're not all created equal. I know it was business and there's a lot of reasons, but did Kyle Busch get lucky 60 times? So what I say by that is, now listen, I actually disagree with you. I think he was going to be very good at Dover. He seemed to have lead early, sped. Now, I don't know if he would, I don't know if he has car enough to recover from speeding. Like it takes an exceptional car to drive back through the field. But I had saw nothing until he sped that told me that the eight car wasn't going to be good today. Okay. Now, maybe he wouldn't have. I'm not saying he would or wouldn't. But I'm willing to chalk this up as mistake on pit road, wreck the front of the car, throw this one away. The three car, 
I have nothing nice to say. 25th in one stage, 27th, finish 27th. It's an awful day. Now, also, though, hold on. You got Kyle Busch. You're building your, you're building your organization. Why are you going to work for Dover? What's Dover going to get you? Yeah, good point. So they're approaching just like all the other teams. Like, well, more because you know what Kyle Busch does is he pushes your organization to a brink, to a breaking point. Nothing is good enough for him. The pit stops aren't, the race cars aren't, the engines aren't, and this is a compliment, right? And RC knew it when he got him, right? This guy is going to push everything. He is going to flush average right out of your company because the people that can't stand it, they're going to quit. And I know there were Andy Petrie, that group up there. There's no chance. They're just okay with being okay. They're working their guts out to try to improve. But Andy Petrie has to say, okay, so, whoa, timeout, guys. How much money are we going to spend on Dover? We can win Kansas, or maybe we think we can win Kansas. You know, we won a mile and a half. My, my point is, it was a not a very good day for RCR. But it was not a very good day for a team and an organization that have won twice this year. I can think of other teams that are perhaps a little bit more concerned. Now, it is interesting when you look how good – uh, what do you got? Corey LaJoy in 14th, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in 15th, Eric Jones in 16th with what you would think would be RCR help, you know, AJ Amendinger 18th. So that is a little interesting, right? As some of the RCR cars or supported cars running in better. But yeah, I think I think it started ho-hum and I think we're going to see that Kyle Busch is you know, he's going to help Austin Dillon all he can as long as it doesn't get in the way of Kyle Busch. Well, lest we forget, and Kyle Busch and Richard Childress have made a point of making sure we don't forget, Kyle Busch is at RCR because of Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon brokered the meeting between his grandfather and Kyle Busch to bring Kyle Busch to RCR. He's the one who, who smoothed the waters there and said, Richard Childress is going to talk to Kyle Busch. We're going to make this happen. Richard Childress said again after Talladega, like Austin deserves all the credit for Kyle Busch being here and getting this company turned around. So I guess my question, Stevie, is like, does that play into how this is affecting Austin Dillon or the three team or the organization in general? I mean, does he get credit for, he almost is a general manager as much as he is a driver in that situation, you know? We talk a lot about succession plans and racing as our, as our owners age. We've seen Jeff Gordon take a very prominent role in Hendrick Motorsports. You know, Coach Gibbs was, was seemed to be coaching both first JD and now Coy, and it, it's just so tragic, the passing of both of his sons, right? But we look at... Roger Penske, and he has some sons that are in the one for sure that's in the racing thing, right? So, you know, RC is a generational, once-in-a-lifetime type guy. He's got the swagger. You know him, right? We all know him. Like, RC, he's RC, right? Like, he he does it his own way. He's self-made. He's not a billionaire from another business. He is, he is not like anyone else, much like every other successful owner. And we're, you know, we're judging Austin Dillon as a race car driver because he is a race car driver. He's won some of the biggest races in NASCAR. He's won the Daytona 500, the Coca-Cola 600. Let's not forget he's still without his crew chief, right? So, so there's a little bit of a hiccup there. But I think what I've heard over the last six months of how the Kyle thing went down and knowing Austin, you can't tell me when you hear him and see him, you don't think RC. We get asked to analyze a lot of things. And if the question was, hey, what do you, you, know, what, you, know, what do you think this is such? There's not even a thinking anymore. Like, like Austin proved that he went out and got Kyle Busch. Bravo, Austin. Listen, he's become a family man. Uh, I think he's very loyal to his pit crew. He has probably one of the best pit crews on pit road. So I'm a big fan of this because, so I'm not a college grad. So when I look at business or approach, I look at things very differently because I wasn't taught it from a book. I taught it from a lot of bad choices and bad decisions in my life, right? Like that's what makes experienced people so savvy. And I think I kind of feel that everyday blue collar Austin Dillon matches his grandfather so well. And I think that's where 
you know, they want Austin to win races. I think Kyle wants Austin to win races. Absolutely. But, you know, not if he's the guy that's going to finish second. Right. I mean, that's going to be the hardest part for Austin Dillon. It's the same thing Bubba Wallace is up against, right? Like what made the Talladega race so hard for Bubba Wallace? Because that guy that sits in the 45 is a, a, a exceptional talent as well, right? You have to start beating your teammates. So I think RCR is going to be okay, but for sure. You, you, we definitely want to see more speed out of the three. But I will say when the eight's good, the three seems to get better as well. Yeah, and it, it just doesn't seem like it's wearing on him, and it shouldn't wear on him too much because, I mean, like you said, Austin Dillon is – he's gotten more worldly. I mean, I think he's a realist. I think he's like his grandfather. He sort of – he understands the big picture here. Well, I mean, listen, he has an impressive resume behind the wheel. Like I said, he's won some of the biggest. Listen, I'm, I'm very thankful for the 15 races I won as a crew chief. But I'm way better at TV than I was on top of the pit box. I was merely average on top of the pit box. I'm way more comfortable in the booth. I like talking about the sport. I like explaining the sport to other people. You know, I don't want to discount what I did. But look, I'm like, I don't know, 50th, 60th on the crew chief win list. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not Hall of Fame bound because of 15 wins in the Cup Series. I think Austin Dillon has that ability to have a much larger footprint in the sport. I think he's going to be around a long, long, long time. He not only has done some great stuff behind the wheel. Let's not discount that. But, I mean, he went and got Kyle Busch. I didn't think it could happen. He got it. He got the deal done. Good for him. I don't want to discredit what you did either. I mean, you won a Daytona 500 as a crew chief, but you certainly have made your mark as a broadcaster. And before we get out of here, I thought I'd give you a chance to talk about a new broadcasting experience you had this past weekend. Normally, this is where we talk about the next week's race, but I feel like we've covered Kansas pretty well. So let's go back to last weekend, Stevie. You and I were in Nashville. You're covering your first Supercross event ever. You're in the booth with James Stewart and Ricky Carmichael calling a heat race on NBC. You sounded great, as I knew you would. Um, but I think you also just enjoyed the event. Tell me about what the atmosphere, what the whole event was like. Once we got credentials and got things figured out, I think we really enjoyed our time in Nashville. So if you've never been to a Supercross race, you have to go. I said it on air. The global motorsport footprint is in a great spot. IMS is spectacular. IndyCar, great. Supercross captivating. The show that Supercross, AMA, and Feld put on at Nashville was to quote our good friend and boss, Sam Flood, right? It's must-see TV. And while it is great covered on NBC and Peacock, you got to go in person. It's breathtaking what these riders do. The acceleration, the aggression, the speed, throwing safety out the window, the moves that they make, the show that's put on, condensed into a football stadium. It, it was captivating. James Stewart and Ricky Carmichael led me around there like an absolute rookie. Uh, they put, took me on the track walk, introduced me to some riders. I'm a Supercross fan, but the whole experience was spectacular. I'm a bigger fan now because I went. Uh, we got thrown under the wolves. I mean, we had, uh, we had Rex. We had Chaos. The entire production team really did a nice job. But I love covering other sports on TV. I'm thankful for the opportunity. I can't wait to go to the Indy 500 for both the race and qualifying. I'll spend most of the month of May in Indianapolis. But Supercross was, I mean, it, it, it's crazy. It truly is. Much like most sports, and this is awful because we work for a TV network, but of course, in-person's better. I mean, I, I don't think there's a sport where it's better on TV than in-person. I mean, right? That's what makes in-person so great. And Supercross is the same way. They do a great job on television, but the height, the speed that these riders go. I will say this. We only ever get to see the best in the world. And there are some young up-and-coming stars in some of the beginner classes. And we get to see the struggles. 
that was great for me because it just proved to me how good the pros, when you go watch these guys do what they do, when you watch Tomac run a lap and you go, well, it seems relatively simple. Then you watch the hour practice before and you're like, well, it's not simple to any of those guys. <laughs> so it just shows you how good Eli Tomac is, right? It shows you how good all of these guys are. I haven't heard an update on Webb. Have you? Uh, yeah, he's he's out for the season uh, with a uh, concussion. He's going to miss the last two rounds. Yeah, and it was a scary situation. We saw it right there in person, falling off the bike and then getting hit by another bike. So, you know, it, it, it was a good reminder of it's funny because like Ricky and James, while they were concerned for his health, it was just status quo to them. That was Supercross. Those guys are warriors. And I think you and I are probably guilty of that in NASCAR. So when we see a car wreck at 180, we think, well, I don't know what happens each and every week. So it was a good kind of peel the Band-Aid off moment for me. I'm like, I was jaw on the ground uh, when that accident happened. It was a good reminder to be like, you know, maybe I take what those other guys do on four wheels for granted as well. So it was fun. It was a great time. Nashville's a fun town. We had a good time. Ricky Carmichael, uh, he's the goat for a reason, man. He, he's like track walk with Ricky Carmichael's like walking the garage here with Dale Jr. You're not going to go very far without a picture or an autograph. Yeah, we did that on Friday. That was a lot of fun. A little bit of context, by the way, for people. So that was the, the heat race before Steve did the heat race at Nashville. The second ranked rider in the points, Cooper Webb, two-time champion, tried to pass the defending series champion, the points leader, Eli Tomac, and he did. But then in the next corner, this was on the first lap of the heat, he fell down, got hit by Adam Ciancerello, uh, got knocked out, taken to the hospital, and now, like I said, is out for two races for concussion. So after all that, then Steve had to parachute in the booth and do heat number two, which he did great with, by the way, again. like Which they wrecked a quarter of the lap in, thank you. 500 yards in, they get pushed left in the first set of jumps. So Stewart and Carmichael, two of the all-time greats. I mean, Ricky Carmichael is the GOAT, the greatest of all time in Supercross. Multi-time champions, both of them. So many wins between both of them. You're in the booth between the two of them. I know you prepared a lot for that, but what was it like being among Supercross royalty and being on national television, adding your insights, weaving in and out of their commentary? You work really, really hard and prepare as hard as you possibly can to stay the hell out of the way. And that's basically what you what you do. They're so good. They've forgotten more about Supercross than I could have ever prepared or learned. It was amazing. They're, they're contradicting styles, both on the racetrack. You have Ricky, Mr. Cruz's way to a championship, and Mr. James Stewart. I am trying to lap everybody and may fall trying to do it. And, and that same... What I loved about the broadcast as Ricky, who has a tremendous amount of experience and James learning about being a broadcaster, is they they still brought their own views. And, and the reason I say that is because what I've seen in a lot of sports is if you've held the same position as someone else and you're trying to describe something to a big 50,000 foot view audience, they seem to really kind of blend over a little bit. But I didn't get that with, with James and Ricky. I thought they did a nice job of explaining the same thing differently, contradicting each other at times, disagreeing with each other at times. It was a really great listen, as it always is. But standing there in between them, I thought they, like, like I said, you know, I parachuted in to do one race. We kind of brought, you know, promoted uh, NASCAR back on NBC when we go to Nashville. And they felt, or at least I felt, I think you felt the same way, Nate. We hung out with them in the booth from the word go it felt like they wanted us to be there and we weren't in their way. And, and I think that's the nicest compliment you can give somebody who has to put, put it all down. But I will say, I told them a hundred times, I'm like, y'all think this is normal, huh? So this is normal. So this type of, like, man, those riders are no joke. No, and listen, let's not forget, there's a Deegan in 250s. 
Like the NASCAR crossover is good. How about you and I first walk into the paddock? You didn't even tell me, tell the guys about our man on the on the zapper machine there. Uh, yeah. Plus, Aaron Plessinger. Right? We went and saw Plessinger. Yeah. So my buddy Drew Parker, he's a country guy. If you don't know him, tune him up, listen to his music, he writes with Luke Combs. I was texting with him. He goes, Oh, go say hi to my buddy Plessinger. He's a big NASCAR fan. I roll in. Plessinger is getting hooked up to what's that called? A tins unit or whatever? Something that was shocking him. <laughs> Something, some sort of medical unit, and they're zapping him and this, that, and he's working on his hips, and he's trying to hold the conversation, and every kind of step he's taking, he, he like, keeps all those, but but just super, like, accessible, chatted some NASCAR up. The whole crowd was that way. Even our potential credential disaster was handled so nicely by the people in the credential trailer. Even they weren't mad at us. Once we found that credential trailer, man, it was smooth sailing from then on out. It was it was a great two days in Nashville. Oh, for sure. That was the peak of the mountain. Wait, once we got we got that uh once we got that what was the wristband? What did it say? Local. Once I got that local wristband. We were, we were sliding downhill from there, Nate. Many moments I won't forget. All right. so you're not going to talk about the hidden bar. It's a long story. It's for a whole nother thing. Nate learned what it's like to travel with me. Nate, I don't, I don't know how it happens. It just kind of... Crazy things happen with you. They always work out well. That's, that's the best part. Always like right on the edge of chaos, but on the good side of chaos when you're with Steve Wittart. Hey, buckle up. Two weeks, Indianapolis. Indy 500 qualifying. We just got some of the production notes. I'm going up, checking out qualifying. I love NASCAR, don't get me wrong, but boost turned up for Indy 500 qualifying. You know, hold your breath. I took my breath away last year, and then I'm going back up for what I do agree is the biggest spectacle in all of motor racing, and that's the Indianapolis 500 Memorial Day weekend. I'll be up there on the coverage. So little Supercross, little NASCAR, and then we're going to head to a little open wheel. I'm going to try to keep up with you in Indy. That's going to be May 28th, Indy 500. Can't wait for it. It's May. Steve Hart's a busy man. We always appreciate him joining the NASCAR on NBC podcast. Thanks for being here, man. Always. We appreciate Steve Wittart for joining us on the NASCAR on NBC podcast. Thanks to Motorsports Manager Emily Convoy and Production Assistant Zach Tanzaretti for recording this episode, helping with recording, production, and editing of the podcast. Check out the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel for more of Steve Wittart, Brad Doherty, and Marty Snyder talking Dover on NASCAR America Motormouths. And as always, you can find more news, columns, and analysis on NASCAR Talk and Motorsports Talk on NBCSports.com. Please visit NBCSports.com NASCAR or NBCSports.com motors. If you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. 
Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.